to be here. And I thank you for the good food last night. Praise the Lord. And all you ladies that had a part in that. And just for all of it, it's been a joy. Boy, I tell you, it's hard to be the third preacher. (laughs) After the preaching we've heard, amen. It's been good, isn't it? Praise God. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me and go to the book of 1 Samuel tonight, this morning, I guess. 1 Samuel, please, chapter 1, and I've asked Pastor to read the first 19 verses. If you would, keep your Bible open, and after we're through, we'll have a word of prayer, and then you can be seated. Okay. All right, 1 Samuel, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now, there is a certain man of Ramoth, Amzophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of the host of Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli, the priest, sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. You may be seated. Join me in, if you will, just as we just ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we have heard your word. We have been stirred by your word this morning and the power of your word two-edged sword that we need pierced into us. But Lord, it's so easy to forget after the message over. To shout amen when we're there hearing it. But God, let these messages sink into us. We live in a world of compromise, God, and let us not just look out at somebody else's compromising, but let the Holy Ghost of God see if we're compromising. And then God make us men of God who preach the word. Thank you for what we have heard. Thank you for the music that 
and thrills us and soothes us and reminds us. And now take this portion of thy word and use it for your glory. Instruct us and teach us. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Brother Abel's mentioned, and I I think uh, all men have, that we've been assigned, and I I think that's good. I'm not against that, uh, a topic that the pastor would like us to speak on, and I appreciate that. But can I say something to all of us, especially preachers? Men, don't segment the three sermons today, okay? They fall all together. There's no no way you can say, well, I'm just going to take this one thought. They all mesh together. Appreciate that so much, what those men said. But can I tell you that my topic is prayer. And I want to say to all of us, especially you men today, you can preach and not pray. But you can't pray and not preach. And so when you you look at preaching and praying, they go together. You remember the early disciples separated themselves out and you get seven men a good report. We're going to give ourselves to the ministry of the word of God. That's preaching. And to prayer. You can't do, you can't separate. Can I tell you, you can't separate compromise either. Because if you're a compromise in your lifestyle, you'll be a compromising preacher. It's just going to happen. Because you won't be, you'll tread lightly in those areas. Because there'll be no conviction in the life. So it all goes together. And, and I hope that when we leave today, we don't segment any of these. And we understand they work together. So my topic assignment is prayer this morning. And I tried to bear my heart last night so that we could get a bit of a foundation of where at least some of you don't know me where I'm coming from. I want to preach this morning on this thought. I've, I've never done this, so it's just the thoughts that God has put upon my heart in the last few days. Hannah's prayer in you and me. Now, as most of us as men, we don't want to hear much from a woman, do we? And we sure don't want a woman to confront us. Go ahead and go like that. Because your wives are always going like that. But that's exactly when you look at the prayer of Hannah ought to do to our life. If you look at the prayer of Hannah and don't glance over it and just read over it, you'll find out that it's a lot of instruction, but it also ought to confront every one of us in this room when it comes to our prayer life. It ought to do something to us. And it ought to have some kind of an effect upon the true prayer life we have individually and then hopefully in our churches. And so I hope today we'll just hang up our spiritual robes. Can you do that today? And take off our spiritual masks and just get real when it comes to this thing of our prayer life, and especially as it relates to a lady by the name of Hannah. Now, let's just get a little setting here this morning. It starts out with a man by the name Elkina, who is an Ephraimite from Ephraim. And he has two wives. One of them is named Hannah, it means grace. And the other is Penina, which means ruby. Now, evidently, he loved Hannah the most, because it says in verse 5 that when it was time to go to the temple, he gave Peniah and those that were children a portion to give into the offering, but he gave a more worthy portion to Hannah because he loved her. Now, it's from that point on, the rest of the entire chapter is given to the prayer of Hannah. And if you look at that, fellas, and if we look at it individually, all of us, it ought to do something to just make us think and expose us a little bit about our prayer life. My prayer life for years was a shamble, but if you'd said, do you pray? I'd say every day, brother, I pray every day. Until I begin to study the prayer life of Jesus and the prayer life of the Apostle Paul 
and begin to look through the prayer life of Hannah and others, and I begin to realize I don't have a clue what prayer is. I don't even understand this thing. It's not just throwing a bunch of words at God. There's something about it in communing with God, which we know a little bit about. And it has to do with a whole lot more than I wonder if we really realize. And so as we look at these things, I I hope it will confront you. It surely does me every time I look at it. And I want us to look at it in terms of just three three thoughts that seem to me to stand out here. And I want us to think about them. And to begin with, I want you to look as we look at this text. It's very simple, but, but Hannah had a problem. I knew where to take it. What's your problem? Look back up in verse 2. Had no child. Ask any woman that from childhood up dreamed of having a baby, couldn't have it if that's a problem. I was with a, a preaching in Texas to a lady that wept every day at the altar because she could not have a baby. But in that day, it was even worse because if you couldn't have a baby back in those days, you were an outcast. You were looked down as something worthless because a husband expected his wife to bear children, especially male children. In an agricultural society, you need boys to help. You need boys in the business. And the wife is to bear those children. She's to bear boys. That's important. She couldn't do that. She couldn't have a baby. Can you imagine how she felt? She couldn't have a baby. Now, that's bad enough, but her husband decides fine. Now, you know, fellas, you know, if you've studied any of the word of God, he had the right in the Old Testament. Jesus had to correct that earlier that they were stepping over the bounds, but he could have just put a writing of divorce according to Moses and said, fine, head on down the pike. He could have done that, but instead he did something worse. He said, fine, you can't bear a child. I'll find a lady who can. Can you imagine, lady, your husband saying, fine, you can't have babies. I'll bring somebody else in the house, and she can Now, how do you feel now? Now you're an outcast in society. You know that. You know everybody that when you go out to the well to get water in the morning, you know what they're looking down at you. You can't bear children. And you're living with that. And now your husband says, fine, I'll find somebody who can. Now, how do you feel? But look in verse number six. When he finds somebody who can, and she spends her time with that silly smirk on her face. Looking down at Hannah and said, can't bear children, can you? I can. And there's a mocking ridicule every day, and you're living with that. Can you come to the conclusion that I came to, and that is, she's got a problem. (laughs) She's got a bad problem, and it's eating her up. But it's one thing to have a problem and then know where to take it. I just ask you this right now in your life. When you have a problem, where do you take it? I want you to look where Hannah took it. This is interesting to me. When Hannah had had enough of it and was hurting inside, Hannah had only one thought in her mind, and that is to head to the altar of God. Fall down on her face And say, God, I have a problem, and you're the only one that can take care of this, and you're the only one I trust to take care of this. She fell on her face. Now, I don't know, fellas, if you know, but if you look at this, she broke all the protocol of Israel in that day. Look at what it's telling us. God's telling us exactly, in a way, what the setup of the time was. The high priest would sit at the post of the temple or of worship at that time, and then off to the side would be where the altar of prayer would be. Now, the protocol is that 
when you come, you stop to the high priest and you tell him your problem. He gives you some advice, maybe some advice on how to pray. He now knows your situation and you have discussed it with him and you all go in and you pray, not Hannah. Hannah's burden so bad she blows right by him. Can you imagine what he felt like? Is he sitting there at the post and all of a sudden everybody is supposed to line up and do this thing? Not Hannah. She just blows right by, goes into the altar and falls down on her face. That's a no-no. That's not what you do in Israel. Didn't matter to her because she knew where she needed to be. Not only that, when you go into the altar, you pray out loud. See, part of the reason that you stop before the priest is because he gives you advice on how to pray. And then he would sit there at the post so he could hear you pray. And then he could make a comment during your prayer or after the prayer. Not Hannah. She blows right by, falls down on her face at the altar and begins to pray, except nothing's coming out. Her lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. What's happening? She's burying her soul before God. And let's give Eli a little credit here, okay? He's not seen this before. Nobody does this. And so he sits at the post and looks over and said, that, that, that lady has to be drunk. She's out of her mind. What is she doing? What she's done, she's broken all the protocol. And he doesn't understand that because that's not the way things are done. That's not the way things stack up one by one. You don't do things like that. But it didn't matter because Hannah understood that what bothered her burdened God. And she went into the altar and fell down before God and prayed. Preachers, you have a problem today. If you're in the pastorate, you got a problem. I'll guarantee you. Sometimes we don't even, sometimes we ignore our problems. Does it bother you that nobody's getting saved today? Is that a problem? I was in a church not long ago. I don't even mention the state it was. Preacher bragged on me three people were saved last year. Can I just tell you, sometimes we preachers don't say what we want to say. Are you kidding me? Three people were saved last year and one baptized. And he was, he was content with that. That would drive me nuts. We don't even see that as a problem today. Brother Boonster's here. I'm just going to tell you flat out. He's one of my heroes. Amen. Amen. I've known Brother Boonster for a long time. He hasn't known me. I was a young college student when he was directing the, the missions He's never compromised. Can I tell you what bothers me and bothers him? Missions isn't the top of our churches most of the time. We're not burdened about people dying, going to hell that have never heard the gospel somewhere. We don't see young men and surrendering anymore and saying, I want to give my life wherever it is to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that bother us? Is that a problem? Worldliness in our church, is that a problem? The fact that we're into Christian humanism today, does that bother us? Is that a problem? But having a problem is only part of it. Where do you take it? It's been my experience in in the years that I've been in full-time work, which is over 45 now. That's not the highest priority to go to an altar when you got a problem. I've counseled with a lot of people through the years. And I'll say to them, uh, they'll tell me about their problem. And I said, so what have you done about it? Well, I called this person and I talked to that person. And and then I'll say, did you pray about it? Well, yeah, some. Some. That's interesting. I've had some of them wring a handkerchief as a a woman and say, not really. I appreciate the candorness of that. 
You know what's sad, preachers? Many times we don't know where to take a problem either. I'm not here to pick on anybody. I'm just there to ask you, where do you take your problem when you really have one? Do we really believe that God can still do it? I wonder. We hold an international, it's not international, but it could be. We hold a South Asia prayer conference. You wouldn't know about it because we don't do slick brochures. We don't have golf outings. We don't have side trips and mountain biking and swimming. We go up to a mountain into a hotel you probably wouldn't want to stay in. And we spend four days in prayer. I have a lot of opportunity when I'm over there. We do it every September to meet with missionaries from all over South Asia. We walk around. We have breakouts times when we just pray. A man may go out for two hours and in the woods, out in the woods, and just be alone. Sometimes we pray together. Sometimes we walk together and pray. Those are great times. And I get to be with missionaries and preachers. And when I, we talk about things like this, I've had them tell me, and I'm talking to you about men of God that have been at it a while. Brother Elliot, I'm going to bear my soul. If you ask me in the situation I'm in, if I prayed, I'd say yes. But I'm just playing at it. The truth is, I've been asking people more than I've been asking God. I've been reading books about it. I've been on the Internet about it, searching out stuff. But I never got before God and said, God, I'm trusting you to solve this problem and tell me what the next step is. Can I just say something, folks? We prioritize and focus on where we think the answer really is. We really do. And I wonder if that's not an insult to God. And here's the thing, as Christians, as preachers to our people and as members of a church to another member, we reveal where our confidence really is. I'm telling you something. Preacher, listen, when you stand in the pulpit, the people you preach to know more about you than you think you know. They know. They know you. They've watched you. They know where your conviction is. They know where your heart is. They know. Oh, Pappy Ravella had a soup kitchen in the late 1800s. He'd go out on the sidewalk and he'd raise his old hands before God and beg God to bring in the food. People would stop him and say, Pappy, why don't you just let some other churches know and help you? Why don't you correspond and get some help? And Pappy would say in that old southern way, because I ain't got no confidence in nobody but my God. I wonder if that's us today. I wonder what would happen if we had churches full of people that really believed God could take care of it. Really believed. Hannah had a problem and she knew right where to take it. But I want you to notice she had a petition and knew how to make it too. Notice what she does. She goes to the only place she has any confidence at all in. And then I want you to look at her petition. And and, and when you think about it, I want us to think about it in our own lives. Because I'm guilty of a lot of things that are wrong in my life of prayer. I notice as I look down at how specific her prayer was. Look in verse 11. Now I want you to think about this. God, I want a baby and I want it to be a boy. Well, so much with political correctness. 
So much if it be your will, God. So much of that nonsense. Hannah said, God, I want a baby, and I want it to be a boy, God. We live in a day and age where we have to tiptoe around the tulips with God. Well, God, if it, I, okay, I'm just going to tell you, Brother Abel's, I feel like you do. I'm just going to bear my soul. I'm up to here with this if it be your will stuff. What are we talking about? God say if we ask anything according to his will. Good lands, where are we? I know sometimes we may find it very difficult, but that's a cheap cop out. It's all it is. I'm too lazy to know if it's God's will. So if it be your will, God, what a bunch of junk. Why don't we say, God, your book. Hannah didn't have to search around. She knew that God had said, go into the world, multiply the earth. It's fine to have a baby. She wasn't saying, well, now, if it's your will, and God, I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to be too harsh about this, and I, I don't want to approach it. I, I just, uh, oh, gag a maggot. Come on. Can I tell you, most of my prayers were pretty vague. I'll just be candid today. Most of my prayer life was very vague. Oh, God, I just, I just wish you'd bless our church. Oh, God, I just wish you'd bless our people. <laughs> Nonsense. But that was it. They, I had a grand... One of, the, one of the good things, and you all know this if you have grandchildren, is just being around them. And my wife and I tried to make an effort, even when I was traveling all long evangelists, to be as much with our grandchildren as we can. We didn't live close to them. And one of the delights that we had was being able to put them to bed when they're young and have their prayers with them. My little granddaughter, Lindsay, who's not so little now, she, she's married to a Baptist preacher in Texas. But when she was real little, about four or five, I loved to be able to go in with Lindsay and, and sit on the edge of the bed. And she'd lay on her back and cross her little leg, and her leg would go up and down like that. <laughs> And uh, I would say, Lindsay, now let's pray and let's just talk to God for a little. Let's just, just talk to Jesus. And she would go, and Jesus, I just pray you'll bless everybody in the world. <laughs> and I chuckled to myself and I thought, well, I think she was kind of serious in her little chat with Jesus. But probably not very specific, hey? <laughs> You know, that's okay when you're four years old, okay? You know, that's okay. But how specific we are we? You know, I work with a, a missionary named Terry Unruh in Sri Lanka. been over 28 years. I never thought I'd ever go back after the first time. God just, it's woe, one of those woe is me if I don't preach the gospel over their things and uh so for 22 years, I've been going two to three times a year. And one of the things that drew me immediately to Terry Andrew was two things. He had the power of God on his life. And number two, he was a man of prayer. And uh, we have had a lot of opportunities to pray. And I'll tell you one thing that I learned from Brother Andrew, and he never taught me this, lectured at it. I just listened is that he had, his prayer life was very specific. Lord, I need this kind of a van with this kind of a transmission, with this kind of tires, with this many seats. And I've got to have it, God. There's no way I can get up into the mountains without it. You've got to give it to me. Not a, oh God, I could sure use a van. It's got to be this kind of a van. I was waiting to see if he's going to put what color in it, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I'd listen to that. We're praying for a piece of ground over there. Four things we're going to do with that piece of ground. Not, oh, God, we need this. No, God, it has to be this because these are the four things we've got to do with this piece of ground. It can't be that. It can't be that. That won't work. It's got to be this. You say, that's arrogancy. No, that's 
approaching God with a belief that God is concerned about what we need to get done. And he prayed. I want to tell you about an incident that really taught me something. We were, we're not there now, but in, where we have to, to meet is just houses because we can't buy, we can't afford the land right now in Colombo. And so every church he has is just in a, in a house. And the bigger the better because the churches are growing. So we were in a place called Borella, which is a kind of a suburb of, of the Colombo, Sri Lanka area. And, um, off of the main road, if you want, if you can picture a main road, it's not like Nixa. It's, a, it's, a, bumpy thing that's half paved and and then we had to go down a, an old dirt lane down to where the house which we've now made into a church but up at the top of the road there was a a a man who was a staunch buddhist and right across from him was one of those crazy buddhist statues too and so this man was not just a buddhist i mean he was a devout buddhist and he did not like christians in any way, shape, or form. And when we'd go down, if you were in anything like on a motorbike or any walking or anything, he'd come out and curse and just give us nothing but trouble. Brother Terry <clears throat> took his wife first and went up and tried to talk to this man. And the man was just arrogant. He didn't want anything to do. And Terry said, look, we're not here to cause you trouble. But we're not, we're, we're not singing loud, we're not making a bunch of noise, but we're going to have services, and we'd appreciate it if you just allow our people to come without being harassed. Well, he didn't give up. He just kept on and on and on. He made threats. He made threats through Brutus priests. They were going to burn the building down, all these kind of things. Brother Terry took a couple of men and went up and tried to talk. The same thing. Nothing happened. The guy was arrogant. Then he made a threat that looked like it was going to be severe. If the police, it would have been if the police had not got wind of it. Um, they really thought that they were going to come on the church one morning and they were going to bring clubs and there was going to be some bad things happen. So after that happened, Brother Terry got a few of his men and said, I want you to meet me Saturday morning. And he said, men, we've got to ask God to intervene in this thing. Something's going to have to be done. And then I want to I want to go the second mile. I'm going to go up and talk to this man. This man. Now he said we're going to walk up there calmly. We're going to walk up the road. And he said I'm going to take. And he named two of them. One was Gobi, and because he, he could interpret. And another one. And he said now uh, the rest of you guys just stand out here. We will not probably be long. And he went in and tried again to say, sir, could we make some kind of an arrangement where you will not do this to us? And the man, in his arrogance, he just stood there and just railed him. And Brother Terry said, uh, okay. And he left and he walked out to where the other men is. And he said, men, stomp the dust off your feet. The men looked at him and he said, that's biblical. Stomp the dust off your feet. And then join me in this very clear prayer. God Either change this man's heart or move him out. One week later, that man stepped down on his porch, had a massive heart attack, is in hell right now. And God took him out. I don't think that's what Brother Terry was asking. <laughs> Give him a heart attack, but he was very specific. Change this man's heart, God. Or move him out. Specific prayers. How specific are our prayers? How specific? God, would you do this? Please bring it about. My confidence is in nobody but you, God. I'm not looking for anybody else. If, you, if the power of the Holy Spirit can't get it done, the power of this book can't get it done, the power of you in me can't get it done then what kind of a God do I have? Then I want you to notice her motive is right. See, I would assume that she would have said, God, I don't like this humiliation. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Every time I go through the house, but I just given me this. I hate it, God. She probably did. But that's not a request. Look in verse 11. 
Look at the motive of her heart. God, um, if you'll give this boy to me, I'll give him back to you. Wow. The motive of her heart. What about our motive? Why do we want what we want? James said a lot of times we just consume it on our less. Sometimes we just got to stop and think, why do you want that building? Well, it's all for the service of God, really. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm not accusing anybody. I'll just tell you my story. I told you last night about the Chevrolet garage. I'm going to tell you something. You know why I wanted out of that? I was embarrassed. And so I would pray, God, would you give us a new auditorium? And, and if somebody would have said, Brother Al, why do you want that new bill? Well, the reason I wanted it is because I, I really believe we have to have nice facilities for God, and I wanted to see souls saved. You know why I really wanted it? I didn't want the brethren to say, he's in an old Chevy garage. It's hard to analyze our prayers, isn't it, and be real. But that was the truth, man. Now, God kept us in it, and God brought about the moving of himself to show us that you don't have to have a building for the moving of God. Hey, by the way, we think we have to today. No, you don't. No, you don't at all. People say, well, you got to change your music or the youth won't come. Oh, come on. If God's there, youth will come. If God's present, they'll come. That's a bunch of nonsense. But we have to ask ourselves, don't we, what is our motive? Why do I really want this? Why do I want this to happen? Why do I want my children to be different? Just so that nobody at church will say, your kids aren't living for the Lord? What is the reason? Do you know, and preacher Abel talked about it in 1 Corinthians 13 there, he said, one of these days, you guys are going to stand there and decide if he's going to be wood, hair, stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. And you're going to give an account and a narrative. But do you notice what the word there is? That's what sort. If you look at that word, it's talking about motive. Why do you preach? So that people say, man, you're a great preacher. Why'd you sing that song? So people say, I love your voice. Can you imagine where we're going to get things sorted out one day by our motive? Why did you do it? Why did you pray? Why did you want this? Why? She said, I want to contribute to the glory of God and the work of Israel. I want to make it a contribution to God's work. Her motive was pure. But notice last, she made a promise and knew how to keep it. When I read this, I, I think I, I couldn't do what Hannah did. Hannah said, God, um, if you give me a baby boy, I'll give him back to you all the rest of his life. Now, the Bible says that she did what any woman would. She weaned him. Now, Mama, think about this. And Daddy, some of you had children. Some of you have real little children. That little precious baby comes in. You just promised God I'll give him back. Now you got him wrapped up in a little receiving blanket. Just right there. Mama, you fed that baby. And you told God, I'll give you back. And now you're getting attached. I love this boy. Father said, that's my boy. Can you imagine? Taking that little boy now that he's weaned and taking him up to the priest and saying, he's yours. I'll see you next year and try to bring a little longer coat and walked away. 
But you see, Hannah had made a promise and knew how to keep it. Can I just say, could it be that why our prayers are not answered? One is because we don't involve ourselves in the prayer. If our prayers are vague and, oh, God bless, but we don't say how we wanted to bless, and our motives are all messed up, what is the prayer all about anyway? And if we're not involved in it in some way, is it real prayer? It's interesting. If you look in verse 11, it says, and she vowed a vow. We don't talk about that much anymore. A vow is simply saying, God, if you'll do this, I'll do this. And we know we're commanded that if you make a vow, don't, don't slack to keep it. But I wonder sometimes if we don't involve ourselves in the prayer enough. And so it's vague and it's just a concept and oh, give us this. Rather than say, God, if I had the building, I would do this and this and this. And I promise you that, God. That's the one thing I like about what we're doing over there. If we get that piece of ground, we're going to have to keep that promise. But we've committed ourselves to the prayer. I pray it all the time because I'm committed into this thing too. But I wonder sometimes in our lives if, if we're not getting our prayers answered because there's no commitment to us. There's nothing that God can say, well, so if I give it, what about you? What would you do? If God gave you that building, then what would you do? Did you tell him what you'd do? God, if, if we had more people, what would you do with them? Would you preach? Would you teach them how to be soul winners? Would you teach them how to pray? Well, I just really want to have a building. Why? Be Is it because of the brethren? In other words, why are we committed? Or are we committed to the prayer? And then second, would we keep it if we did? If we did get an answer. Some of you pastors know this, and church members too. You've seen it through the years. Somebody will come and say, Oh, pastor, oh, pastor, please pray we'll have a baby. We want to raise a child for God. And please pray and pray and pray and pray that we'll have a baby. Oh, we want to, and we'll dedicate it to Jesus. And so the church prays, and they have a baby, and they dedicate it. And then suddenly they can't come to church because the kid has a runny nose. And then suddenly, when he's a little older, he's playing t-ball somewhere. And next thing you know, they can't come on Wednesday night because they got soccer. Oh, yeah, God, we'll, we'll raise him for the glory of God. But they don't ever do it. Oh, God, give us a car. I've heard this over and over. Give us a car. We can't even get to church. God, our old cars broke down. Give us a car so we can get to church. And when he gets a car, suddenly they don't come to church anymore. Now they go to the lake. But preachers, what have we prayed for that we never kept? God, if you do this, I'll do this. And I promise you, God, no matter what it costs, I'll do it. Sometimes our prayers can be kind of just general, can't they? Brother Terry, over there, if you buy a van, whatever the price of that van is, three times that's the tax. Now, you can complain in America over the price of a van. Over there, for us to buy a new van could be over $200,000. So we'll get a $20,000 remade, new, almost like new Toyota van. And now, isn't this wonderful? This $20,000 van only costs us $80,000. So if you want to get a van, uh, it's not an easy thing. And missionaries just don't have that kind of money. So Terry and Meyer just figured the only place we're ever going to get that is at an altar. 
And so they started praying, not begging people, not anything. God, we've got to have a van. And I know because I know, I've heard him pray. It's got to be this kind of a van, this kind of a van, that. And they pray and they pray and they pray. God, and you're going to have to show us where that is, and you're going to bring the money in. And after long periods of weeping, praying, and staying, they get a van. But one of the things they had told God that if you give it to us, it'll be used specifically this way and only for this way. And that's all it will ever be used for. So God gives them a van. And then all of a sudden they have the van now. And this is great because now we can take people up the mountains. We can hand out tracks. We can do all we need to do. Except now that Shonker's up there and he's on a little motor scooter. He can't even do any kind of work. So God said, why don't you give him that van? Oh, God, that's $80,000. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and give that to him? So Terry gave Shonker an $80,000 van, which incidentally is a 1993 model. Works well up there. So what does he got to do? Go back to the altar? But when he told Shonker, Shonker, look at me. I promised God it'd be used this way, this way, and this way. I better never see it used any other way. I promised God. And Shonker said, Amen. So far, he's given four vans away. And we've just been praying for two more. And he just wrote me about a month ago, and he said, God gave them. Man, I don't know where God wants to go with this, but I am burdened that we see God in our churches once again. That we see God moving once again in our lives. That we get back to believing God is enough. I've asked men this question. Do you really think that this book and you in a closet of prayer preach this book and the power of God is enough to build a church? Then why are we reading all the books on the new junk today? Why are we trying to find out what this guy said? Well, this guy is running 500. I need to do what he has to say. I'll get off that nonsense. If God can't do it, why don't we get out and start selling insurance or something? Get out and get another job. If we don't believe, it's no wonder our people don't believe in prayer because we don't do it. It's, it's no wonder, folks. So it all kind of ties together, doesn't it? comes back to what God taught us to do. I'm enough. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe our nation's in trouble? And we have a problem. Where are we going to take it? We can wring our hands and hope we'll have another election. (laughs) That's really going to work out good. Well, our church is just not where it should. I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. (laughs) We're in an age of pessimism today. I hear this from young, young preachers today, and it's up to me. Well, brother, I'm just going to go start and whatever God wants to do. I'm just there. And I want to say, fine, stay there because I'm not going to support you. You're not even expecting to do anything. What kind of this nonsense? Well, I'm just here, whatever. You ought to know why you're there. You ought to know what God's going to do and what God's promised the book he would do. I was in a church. It was actually... Uh, in Phoenix area, so I won't mention where it is, and I went to it. It's a good church. I didn't know there was an admission conference. And so a guy that traveled with me for years, uh, we had a Sunday night off. I said, let's go over to Brent Loveless Church, good church. I love Brother Brent, and, uh, but I didn't know it was a mission conference. And so he was mentioning that night, yeah, we got three missionaries, and one of them was going somewhere, I think in Austria, somewhere in that part of the world. And... Um, I thought, good, because I've been to Australia a number of times. And I know they need missionaries there. So I went up to him, and I told my friend, I said, Bob, when nobody's around, I'd, I'd like to meet this young guy. He's young. I'd never, I don't know where he was from or what school or whatever. So I just walked up to him and shook, told him, I said, I'm glad to meet you, my brother. I told him who I was, and I said, man, I'm really glad you're going to Australia. I said, man, what a needy, needy country. I'll pray that God will really use him. 
<laughs> Brother, like, we're just going over and have a good time and whatever God wants to do. <laughs> and I stood there and thought, seriously, that's what we have today. That's what's happening. Where'd the old men of God go that used to get down and say, God, I'm here. And I know what you want me to do. I believe every word in this book. I'm going to preach it. I'm going to stay on my face. And I'm going to ask your power to do it. I'm expecting souls to be saved. I'm expecting lives to be changed. I'm expecting the house to become full because it's a living organism. I'm expecting that to happen. And God, I'm going to ask you on my face because if it didn't happen, I've got a problem. And I don't expect to read a book on how to get that thing done or look out on the internet how to get it done. I know where to go, and that's to that altar. And if I have to stay there four hours a day, I'll stay there until someday. The old preachers sometimes used to be, you would hear of of some of these old preachers that would be in their side of their audit, of their platform praying and the old timers would say they'd hear preachers in there said god now i ain't going if you don't go with me Amen. now god i ain't going i'm sorry god i'm not going so the people sat there and sang and wait on the preacher meaning i'm not going to preach until you go with me but i ain't going god and the people usually said well god usually went with him and so i'm just asking us today in our life Can we really survive with the kind of prayer life we have in our lives, in our churches? Because I truly believe until we get back to wanting God more than anything, in the presence of God in our ministries, in our lives, in our families, not much is going to happen. Father, I just pray you'll speak to us today, God. Bring us back to where we love to be alone with you. We crave your presence, your power upon our lives. We're not satisfied, God, until souls are saved. You said greater things would we do than you did, and you said you came to seek and save the lost. Lord, until we're not satisfied, until people's lives are changed and we're brought back to where our church isn't an auditorium anymore, but it's a sanctuary. It's a place we meet with you, and we're not there to be entertained. We're there to meet with God, not just to hear some things. We're here to be changed, and God, we cannot do that without you. Until you're our first love and we're brought back to you. Until we crave you more than anything there is in this world. And I pray that would happen. God, give us men of God who are men of prayer, men of preaching, men of separation, men of holiness, men of conviction. And give us ladies like that. I beg and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Preacher.